We all have trauma, and it shapes us in powerful ways that we don't always see very clearly. Today's guest, Mark Crandall, helps people overcome trauma by breaking free of the stories they create about themselves based on what has happened to them. This one goes deep. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to the show. This is episode 135. We're Danielle and Justin, your hosts of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. And we're coming at you live from Ocean City, New Jersey. Yeah, we're... Of course, it's not really live. By the time they listen to it, it's been recorded, processed, edited, uploaded... Why you gotta harsh the mellow, honey? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds better like when you we're, say it live. Yes, we're at the it's beach. It's summertime and we've got some adventures that we're going on. So if you're not already, jump over to Facebook or Instagram and follow us at Legendary Marriages. Well, we maybe even see some pictures of us on the beach Ooh. with some waves rolling in. Yeah. Even though if the waves were in the background, we would have dialed down the sound of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Justin's like, no background waves. No background noise for recording. <laughs> oh my gosh. All, All right. right. So have yeah. you heard about the Legendary Marriage Tribe yet? What? Yeah. What's that? So what happens when you take transformational weekly coaching, combining it with awesome resources and a powerful community of others doing the same? I don't know. What is it, Danielle? <laughs> Why you got to be so cheesy? You get the legendary marriage tribe. Um, oh, if you're man. wanting to join us over in there, legendary marriage tribe, check it out at legendarymarriage.com slash tribe. All right. Today on the show, we have Mark Crandall. He is a therapist and transformational life and business coach and just an all around awesome dude. Yeah. Like yeah. actually this week. We are over on his podcast, too. I know. It's like a simpatico thing. Like, we both yeah. had it scheduled so that the other would be on the other's podcast. It's super yeah. cute. We're like podcast twinsies this week. Podcast twinsies. All right. So Mark Crandall is super honest about sharing all about his story. And if you're like me, you will just be hanging on his every single word. So let's get to our conversation with Mark Crandall. All right, so welcome to the show. We have Mark Crandall, who is a therapist, a transformational life business coach. He's a keynote speaker. He also has a new book coming out, Embrace Your Past, Win Your Future. He also has a podcast called The Purpose Chasers Podcast. And you know what? Mark is in Austin, Texas with us. Howdy, neighbor. Yes, howdy, neighbor. That's right. So he's going to share his story about um, growing up and he had a tough go at it and how he has really turned himself around and now is helping others do the same thing. Hey, welcome to the show, Mark. Welcome. I am so grateful to be here. And I just, for your, for your audience, like I got to introduce my wife to these two lovely humans before the show, which was, which was right. We got to meet Megan and her humongous bump because y'all are about to have a baby in like the next month here. We were just, we were just saying before we started the, the call, like, um, there's there's twins in a way. Yeah, like you're birthing book. a book and a a child. I mean, obviously one is a little bit bigger deal than the other. Oh but my they're gosh. both big, big deals. Is this your first baby, Mark? It is my first baby. It is my second book. <laughs> oh, so there you go. Nah. That's the second, second book, book is nah. just nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my best content, but it's my second book. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, that's all right. Um, okay, so you and Megan and little baby here are in Austin. And I'm just curious, like, as a kid, you know, you're a therapist now. How did... Um, how did the whole childhood thing play out? Did you have like, a, you know, a loving mom and dad? They're really like rooting you on or how did that look as little yeah, Mark? Let's begin at the beginning. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I was just trying to think of like, that was the, the, the greatest setup question ever, right? It was like, <laughs> how did that look? Did you have cheerleaders? So I was, um, and I guess just a disclaimer for your audience is like, you're, it, for, from a relational standpoint, your experiences in life don't need to look like mine. It's the emotional aspect that's tied into my experiences. So I just want to, my, like my story is like, it is graphic. It is severe. It is like every bad scenario like happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wanted to share, I always like to share a, a brief. Isn't it funny how we, we hear a story uh, and, and like, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing yours, but uh, we hear a story like yours and we compare and we minimize our own. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, that's not the power of story. The power of story is in the, the resonance in going, oh, I've, I've experienced my version of that because we have. That's why we love hearing stories of people on the, on the show or going to movies and things like that because we're, we're, we're looking to know that we're not alone mm. in some way. Yeah, so which is, thank you. Which is why I gave the disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're we're prepared, Mark. Okay, what was <laughs> what was childhood like for you? You two are amazing. This is great. <laughs> this is my first dual podcast, by the yeah. way. I've never I've never been uh interviewed by by a couple. You're getting so, it on all sides, may, may Mark. I, I, let me just apologize in advance for anything I might say or do. Oh, I thought you were going to apologize for me. Okay. <laughs> it's her I'm worried about. Like, oh, I'm, oh there you Smart man. Smart man. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll jump into it. So, at three years old, I was taken by DCYF, which is the, de- the Department of Children, Families, and Youth, and placed in foster care. So, the DCYF stepped in. My mom nearly drowned my biological sister in the bathtub who has cerebral palsy. And through her active addiction, when DCYF took my sister, my mom fled New Hampshire, which is where I was raised, and took me to New York. So she was she essentially kidnapped me. And so when DC, DCYF and the police finally tracked her, um, I was placed in foster care, the same foster home as my sister. And you know, I had burns on me. I had clothes that didn't fit. And, you know, mm. at, at seven, you know, it, it just tr- like I was handcuffed and locked in a closet. There's just a lot of, a lot of trauma, right. From, from my past. And I was, it's funny that you, how you set that question up. It was so beautiful because you touched on both sides. Right. So I had this, this dark, you know, experience. And then I was placed into the light, right? So my adopted parents are the two most amazing human beings I could have ever been placed in, like placed with. They taught me, they taught me how to love. They taught me how to be honest. You know, my father taught me how to work hard. My mom taught me how to work hard. Like, you know, one of the things my mom always used to say is any job worth doing is a job worth doing right. And it still sticks with me to, to, to this day. And like, you know, they, I was forced to go to church and all of these things. And at seven years old, I had all of the traits of a serial killer. I know we just went dark. So I was killing animals. I was setting fires. I got suspended. I got suspended from first grade for a week for throwing a desk at a teacher. Like there was so much confusion and chaos running through my head. Like I hated myself as a child. Like, and, and these were thoughts at seven, eight, nine years old. Like, why did my parents leave? Mm. Like, why does dad tell me he's coming, but then he doesn't show up on visits? What is, you know, who is my mom? Why don't I know her? Why do I have these replacement parents? And one of the most confusing experiences in my childhood was the day that we got adopted and it was on Halloween. And I remember like going to school and trying to convey to my classmates or explain to my classmates like what I was about to do like what do you, I'm going to get adopted well, what does that mean I, I have new parents what does that mean I, honestly I don't know right and I don't I didn't have that wording as a child but it was just like this spiral of confusion within me of inadequacy and a lot of internal dialogue of like you're not good enough you're not lovable I was I'd been so I became so accustomed to receiving negative energy from the outside world for the way that I was reacting to life that I just started to seek it. So praise became uncomfortable. I didn't want to hear Mark, you're you're a good boy, good job. 
I was used to hearing like, why did you do that? Like, you're a failure. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, there's something wrong with you. And yeah, there, there was a lot wrong with me, but I had, they were trying to fix it through therapy and medications and, you know, psychological diagnoses and which were pretty accurate. Like now being a therapist, like the diagnoses that they, they were doing the best they could with, with a confusion as severe as what I was going through. Yeah. And so just to fast track, um, a little bit or quite a bit, like I, at 12 years old, I was placed in group home. So my adopted parents filed what was called a, or what is called in New Hampshire, a child in need of services. That's when they basically approach the state and say, we can't handle him. Will you step in and help? We can't handle him. And we also can't afford to private pay for the services that he needs. So I was sent to placement and re to get rehabilitated. And, and what actually happened was I became educated, right? So I was placed in facilities with older youth that were having sex, that were doing drugs, that were like really engaged in criminal activities. And, you know, I got my head, my first like real girlfriend in which we got risque and, you know, behind staff's backs and like I was learning about narcotics that I had never heard of and at this point I'd only I smoked marijuana once and once so when I came out of rehabilitation and what had actually happened was my adopted mom we had I had a court date set my adopted mom approached the judge and said look he's not getting better like I I can't keep paying this like she had a copay which was pretty ridiculous or expensive Mm -hmm. so I can't keep paying this. He needs to come home. And I was like, yes. And so I, you know, told my mom that I needed to get dress clothes. Like, you know, I, I got to stop wearing it at the time. I was listening to like Marilyn Manson and I was hanging out with the kids down by the train tracks and like painted my nails black. And I was that kind of, it reminds me of the South park episode with the emo kids, right? Like that's kind of, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, Oh, the world. Right. And like, that's how those are the people that I hung out with. So, in my mind, I was like, if I dress up and, I, and if I wear khaki pants and polo shirts and, and dress shoes, I'll, I'll be fixed. And I'm like, I love academics. Like, I'm, I love poetry. I love literature. I love humans. I love studying. And so I went back to high school. I'm curious, what made you like flip some switch and say, like, I want to be better? Because you said, you know, you're, you're doing the Marilyn Manson thing. You're doing some marijuana, you know, messing with girls behind the staff's backs. Like what made you want to be better? Cause I see a lot of teenagers, like if they're going down that path, they're just going to keep yeah. going. Yeah. So the one thing that I just got goosebumps when you ask that. So I know it's real. Right. So the one, I, I don't want to be like my biological parents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have so much love for them. I love my father. I love my mother. I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to spend all of my money on marijuana and booze. Like I don't, I don't want that life. Mm -hmm. Right. So even at the age of 12, 13, 14, and I think at this time when I got out of placement, I was 15. I just didn't want to be that. And of course I didn't have the language to put to that. Like I wasn't out there in the world being like, I never want to be like you, but like, there was this yearning inside to do more, to be better, to not be like, to not fit into the stereotypical mold of what like statistically I should have turned into. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I got dressed clothes and it didn't fix me internally. It changed the outward appearance and, and for your audience and like use this analogy as you will. Like we're, we're we live in a society of outward change when, when the real work takes place in, in, you know, and you were talking about a, a retreat that you're running soon. And like, that's my jam. Like, I don't care about buying a new pair of Nikes. I want to go to a retreat and cry or tap into some power that I didn't know was there or find new limiting beliefs that I get an opportunity to, to cross over and to move past. And, but, but before we get there, I went back to high school, became super addicted uh, to, to marijuana. I was, I was smoking like all day, every day. My classmates and I started 
uh, we started eating sleeping pills before school and would play a game to see who could stay awake the longest. And I started drinking daily at 18 years old. I just, I had an English teacher and it's funny cause I just did a talk up in New Hampshire and she came to my event, this English teacher and her class was the only one that I really needed to pass to graduate. And she said to me, Mark, if you just show up to the final, I'll pass you. I don't care what you get on the test, like just show up because of the work that I produced. Like I, she was talking to me about this, this um, collection of poetry that I wrote for my final project, which she still has. Oh. Like, can, you, can you like send it to me or photocopy it? Cause I haven't seen it. And, and so she was like, it's beautiful. Like it's, uh, it's like the work that I was doing was amazing, but the internal, just the, the fire of hate, self-hatred and mm-hmm. hatred to the outside world just burns so bright. And so I was two weeks away from graduating, if you will, or getting a pass if I showed up and I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job at this point. And I snuck, I commando crawled into my mom's bedroom, my adopted mother's bedroom, took 20 bucks from her purse so that I could get a fix before school. My little brother caught me. I assaulted him and she called the police on me. And Mm. from 18 to 21, I was homeless, became addicted to heroin. I did count, went to County jail for my first year, came out of County jail. Same thing. Like I did a year in County jail. That's a lot of time to reflect on who you are. And I was sober most of the time in County jail and I really wanted to change. And again, I thought if I just dressed better, if I just got a better job, if I just got a decent girlfriend who wasn't using, everything would change. Mm -hmm. But what happened was it changed for a little bit because of the relief that I received from these things that I was doing and gaining. But then at some point, the fire just started to burn again. And I realized again, and of course, in that moment, I didn't realize it, but like I haven't changed internally it's not like I'm not changed. And so I ended up, uh, my, my probation officer showed up at my house and I was using it this time. And I had been out of prison for, or been out of County jail for about eight months. And I was getting high, like a lot, like a real lot and drinking and, and wasn't sober ever. And he showed up and I was in my mom's minivan smoking a joint and, and drinking a pint of Newcastle. And he showed up and I jumped out of the car and I was scared. And I'm like, I'm going back to jail, but that's fine. And he said, Mark, why aren't you in treatment yet? And I said, because I can't get there. I can't stop using. I don't know what's wrong with me, Dave. Like, will you help? And he's like, I'll give you to Friday to go to treatment. And if you don't make it, I'm locking you back up. It's like 3 a.m. the next morning. I got arrested for four burglaries. I blacked out, burglarized a bunch of places and went to prison. And I'm going to make a bold statement on here. I was not sober at all in prison. I was high every day that I was in there, but the New Hampshire state prison rehabilitated me. So Mm -hmm. the New Hampshire state prison forced me to get my GED before they would parole me. Had they not forced me to get my GED, I don't know if I would be here. Yeah. It's interesting because you said you, you kind of had a, a, a love relationship with learning and then being in that circumstance, being forced to go back to that, how did that, like, what did that really awaken in you? Well, it was, it was, you sit in, you sit on the unit and you do nothing all day. And I know I had, I used to have some buddies when I first got out and they're like, yeah, I'm a convict. What? You know what I mean? They live, they listen to thug music. And I was just like, I don't want to live this life. Yeah. Like it is a waste of life. Like incarceration is the most boring thing ever. <laughs> and so I just started getting my hands on any book I could read. And I was reading like a book a day. Like I was just consuming all day. That's all I did. And I would play cards and then I would read and read and read. And I just became like my the fire burned and I was writing a bunch of poetry and I got back into, you know, and it just started absolutely loving it again. But they, you had a choice. You sit on the unit or you could go to high school, right? They had a high school in the prison. So I started going to the high school and then, um, I got my acceptance letter to this treatment center that I ended up going to. And they're like, look, we want, you know, you need to get your GD before we can parole you. We think you're ready. Like take this week of prep classes and then 
And in my head, I'm like, I'm not going to pass. Like I'm a high school dropout. Like I've never, I've to this day, even through school, like graduate school, unless you count statistics, I've never passed a math class to this day. Like math is not my strong suit. Like I can do, you know, basic math, but like, it's just not like, you're t- like trying to find the, the, the angle of the triangle. Like, I'm just, I have no clue. Like, it's just not my thing. And so I was going to school and it got me off the unit and learning and reading and, and, and that stuff got me really jazzed up. And it was, here's the transition. So I was two weeks away from leaving prison. I had had my acceptance letter. I got my GED at this point. And I woke up one morning and I was using, I was sniffing antidepressants the whole time I was in there. There's a big black market. <laughs> He's like, really? Um, and yeah, it's shocking to think that you were high every day in prison. Like, how does yeah. that work? I don't know. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a longer conversation. It just works. It yeah, just there's happens. various ways that they get it in. You can do the math, but um, I woke up this one morning and it, I was stricken with fear. And I was two weeks before I was going to be released. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to make it again. And it was like this realization, like you're getting high in prison and living like a convict in prison. You're never going to make it out in society. Mm-hmm. And of course, those words didn't hit my head, but that's what the fear was. It was like, yeah. what am I doing? And so I, I was just sitting there on my bunk, like getting ready. It was like 5 a.m. and everyone's getting ready to go to the chow hall to get breakfast. And I'm like, what am I doing? Well, like, what do I do? And this thought strikes me just like that. And it was go to the one section of the library that you've never been. So I'm like, okay. But I had to wait two hours until they opened the yard so I could go to the library. So I just sat with it. And I'm sitting, like eating breakfast. I'm like, what is the one section of the library I've never been? Like, where have I never been? I don't get it. I've read all, all kinds of books in there. Like, I'm, yeah, so I'm like squirrel caging, trying to figure it out. The yard opens. I go to the library and I walk in the library, which I did every day. It was my, it was my safe place, right? I got to escape my into my mind. And, or I guess get out of my mind into my imagination, if you will. Mm. Yeah. So I was looking around the library and in the way back was this self-help spirituality section. And I was like, yeah, I've never been there. <laughs> I've been there in two years. And so I, I walked back there and I'm like, okay, so now what? And I look and I look and I look and on the top shelf was a book by the Dalai Lama. And it wasn't like, I wasn't seeking a Buddhist path. It wasn't seeking a religious path, but this man on the cover of this book had the biggest smile I've ever yeah. seen to this day. And I picked it up and I was like, wow. It was like the the path to happiness, or I forget what the actual book's name was, but I picked it up and I read half of it that day. It was like a 500 page book. I read half of it that day. That night I took my sleeping meds, had a towel wrapped around my head and meditated for the first time and or nodded out from my sleeping meds with a towel sure. on my head. But it was my first attempt. And I'm telling you, I received some relief in that there was... At some point in the me focusing on my breath, doing the whole, all, everything that he talks about in the book, like my mind stopped. And I mean, we can go as deep or as far into this as you want. But what I can tell you is since that day, and that was around August, I would say 15th of 2007, I have been obsessed with introspective work, transformational work, the human mind like potential, like just obsessed. Well, what what stood out to me was even as a kid, you had a very active inner monologue going on that you were not only, um, not only was it there, but you were aware of it as well. Like you, you made these decisions even as like, you know, a little kid, like, Hey, I want to dress better. Cause I don't want to do this. Or I have these voices that tell me this. Um, yeah. I wonder where such an active inner, inner mind came from because I'm most people don't have that gift. I don't think maybe they have voices that say like, you're not good enough or, you know, you're a failure but they don't have the knowledge to like dig into that. It was like, what does that mean? Or is this true? Or 
Well, and I was just, I was, as I'm listening to you, you t- recounting the story, I, I'm going, there is this inner battle that's going on between like, I don't want this life and I keep living this life. It's like the, the devil and the angel on your shoulder it's, or something. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, in, in the Bible, there's a story about uh, Paul and he says, I, I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I do want to do because <laughs> even in doing the things that I don't want to do, I think I'm trying to do the things that I, you know, and it's this, it's this battle between his, his, his brilliance and his shadow. And it was, it just raged and he, he talked openly about it. And I, I, I was just like, oh my gosh, when you, when you shared about meditating and being, and that beginning the, the kind of the, the awakening or the, the transformation for you, I was like, ah, the connection to that inner life, uh, it just made sense. And, and to go off that, what, you know, the statement that was made was, most people, everyone has an intuition or an inner God or a connection to universe, like whatever you want to call it. Everyone has it. Most people won't do the work to quiet the mind long enough to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I just got goosebumps again. This is a good, this is a good episode. And <laughs> What I can say is in the thought leader industry, if you will, it has become fluffy and full of a bunch of BS. Yeah. And the reason being is we're missing the greatest resource we have, which is spirituality. So we're talking about a bunch of motivation, but we're not incorporating spiritual practices. We're not incorporating really tapping into what the greatest thought leaders in the world were tapped into. Hey there, it's Danielle and Justin. We'll get back to this week's show in just a moment, but we are super excited to share a brand new opportunity for you to invest in your marriage. I mean, you've got a good life, great kids, a nice job, a nice house, but you find yourself stuck in the roommate zone. Dun, dun, dun. You know the roommate zone, right? Oh, yeah. It's that place where you're wrapped up in the business of life and the busyness and missing real intimacy and connection. It's a lousy place to be. And eventually it leads to a crisis. And the truth is, isolation, that's the enemy. Every couple struggles sometimes, and we all need the coaching, resources, and community to come around and support us. Now, we realize not everyone can afford personal coaching or counseling. And so we wanted to make it super easy for everyone to be able to invest consistently in their marriage and get the coaching and the resources and the support they need and have some fun along the way. Of course, that's why we've created Legendary Marriage Tribe. You can get transformational life coaching, awesome online training and resources, and of course, a powerful community that will support and encourage you. So if you're ready to transform your marriage and your family forever, find out more over at legendarymarriage.com slash tribe. Now back to the show. You said when your adoptive parents like first came into your life, like you spoke very fondly of like how they were trying to love you and get you on the right track and bring you to church. Do you think them even bringing you to church at a very young age played into that like special connection that you have with the spiritual? Yeah, I knew God existed. Mm -hmm. I knew God existed because I had seen him work in other people's lives. But for a long time, I lived this victim mentality Mm -hmm. that he hated me. Why me? Why God? Why does everyone else get this? But I keep getting these like short decks, if you will. Like I keep getting the short end of the stick. Like, why me? Why wouldn't you do that? Now I know. Everything that happened for me was exactly what was supposed to happen so that I could be a warrior for God, right? So I could be a warrior and can't use everything that happened to me. I'm getting fired up now to use everything that happened to me to share that with other people and say, Hey, look, you think you had it rough. Here's my past. All that stuff happened for me, not to me. I don't use that stuff as an excuse to not tap into my true potential today. I use it as a resource. Mm. 
Yeah. And I look, I just keep thinking about, you said when you came out of prison and there were your friends that were in there with you, they came out and they were acting thuggish and they were probably going to end up back in the same spot where they came from and just repeat the same thing over and over again. I'm just, I'm marveling at, um, how you were able to see that that wasn't the true you and that they were just trapped in the, well, I had a messed up childhood and I got in all this trouble and there's really no hope for me. This is going to be my life. I am going to be a thug. I'm a convict or whatever the things were that they were saying and acting out. The the level of buying into those stories. Yeah. 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 It sounds like they were just like, well, this is going to be my life. So I'm just going to embrace it, I guess. And, you know, and you were saying the opposite of like, that story is not going to dictate the rest of my life. But I wasn't, I I don't even know if I was saying it at that point, I was taking actions towards it. Right. And so there's a series of events that unfolded for me where I met a man who mentored me, was my spiritual mentor. And, and I was sick of therapy and like everything that I had been doing, like, oh, cause all that was, was coddling. Oh, Mark, I can't believe that happened. Like, it's so like, let's talk about that. How did that make you feel? Well, talking about how it made me feel has kept me trapped for 20 yeah. some odd years. Well, the and more you replay the tapes. Absolutely. And it was therapist after therapist. And I'm not, I love, I'm a therapist myself. Like I love therapy. Don't get me wrong. There are some good people doing great work, but it's a broken industry. It's an industry that profits off sickness. And if you get, if you come to see me and you get well, I don't have a client. So why would I want to give you everything I have? Um, But I digress. That's another (laughs) episode. And so I met this man, I asked him to mentor me. And in one of our first meetings, he just smoked me right in the chin. And he goes, Mark, when are you going to quit playing the victim? Ow. What do you, what do you mean? Do you, don't you understand what happened to me? He's like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. All that stuff happened to you. Okay. 23 years later, you're still living in the stuff that happened to you. Like you're blaming all of your life off of these things that happened that you can't change. And I was like, wow. And I heard him, right? As clear as day. And I'm like, wow. I, wow. I'm like, it's like the the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. Right? Like, it's like the, you know, I think of it like Thomas, the little engine that could. (laughs) You know, I had had been trying to go up the hill my whole life going, I think I can't. I think I can't. I think I can't. Right. I can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. not going anywhere, but yet I'm like on the hill. No, Thomas got up the hill by going, I think I can, I think I can. Right. And so I was like, it was in, and then I just, I mean, I became absolutely obsessed. I think the first um, self-help book, if you will, which I don't believe there's anything is self-help. I believe that the more work that we do, the more tapped into the divine or God, the universe, whatever you believe or don't believe in your audience. I'm speaking to your audience. I got a clear understanding of what you two believe, but um, it just, the more work that I do, the more dialed in I get, the the clearer I get of all of this stuff. And yeah. Yeah. It was a long, long answer to a short question. Well, but, but, but you're pointing at something that that we talk about a lot. Like one of the three pillars that we talk about uh, in our teaching is know yourself and like know yourself, understand your story and, and self self awareness without self mastery, like knowing the story and changing the story, writing a new one have to go hand in hand. The, and, and so what you're pointing at is, is that, that transition from self-awareness of like, oh, this is the story. This is the story that I'm living in. And, and really the identity that, that keeps getting thrown at me. Like, like we get labeled and named and diagnosed and, 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 and named by circumstances. And after a while, we start to believe that. We make all those agreements, spiritual agreements, emotional agreements with it. And, and then there's this, there's this place where we either die with that or awaken to something 
to something new. Yeah, ab- it, yeah absolutely. And, and I would love to say that I, like I was a believer and like I truly thought that I could tap into my true potential overnight. And that's just not the case. I, it was a long, it was a long road of a lot of tears and a lot of hatred and a lot of introspective work and a lot of looking at myself in the mirror. And I'm, I committed my life to it. Like, this is what I do. This is my calling. I love it. The, the weirder the activity or the event or the workshop and the more cult-like it has of a reputation, the greater chance I'm attending it. I want to see what that is. There's something there for me to learn about myself. Yeah. And, you know, I'll give your audience an example. Like last year, I invested $75,000 into my personal development through coachings and workshops and, 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 um, courses. Like I just, I love it. I'm on a, I'm on a quest to continue to wake up, but I had, there was one main shift for me in, in the, the, who I believed I was to who I could actually become like when I was in the middle. So I wasn't like, I think I can, I, or I think I can't, I was just like, Maybe checking out, watching the birds on the hill. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I wanted to, I was working for a drop-in center for runaway and homeless youth. And I had, had just gotten my bachelor's degree and was about to start my master's degree in social work. And I wanted to get hired for this um, correction facility for youth. So it's called DCYF. Um, and I just, I like got brought back there in this. Yeah. So I, I promised I wasn't going to cry on the show, but I may. You don't have to promise. Such a station station. She's like, please bring it, baby. Bring the tears. <laughs> okay. I got you. Danielle likes to uh, make people cry. No, yeah. stop. <laughs> I see it. Yes, she does. She's asking all the setup questions for it. And so <laughs> even my colleagues made statements to me that said, you probably won't get that job. Like you're a convict, you have six felonies on your record. You probably won't get that job. And, you know, know, friends of mine were like, you're not going to get hired. That's crazy, dude. Like, why don't you just stay where you're at and build yourself? And I was like, no, I don't believe that. I I believe that God universe is way more powerful than we give him credit for. And if he wants me to do this, she wants me to do this. I applied and you know what? I got the job. But, but just, just acknowledging the, the way you said, I applied. Like that, like, like there's such victory in your voice when you say that. Yeah, and because I feel what? like I'm that gonna... was a point where you said, you know what? This doesn't dictate my yeah. whole rest of my life. Like I'm going to walk forward as a person that is totally healed, even though I'm not totally there. But, you know, it's like they tell you to dress for the job that you want. It was like, I'm going to take this step forward because my future is going to look big and bright. Maybe it doesn't look exactly like that right now, but that's what it's going to be. So why wouldn't I apply? Yeah, and I'm I'm going to sit there and so what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm not going to get hired, which I've already told myself a hundred thousand times is not going to happen anyways. So like... And I applied and I nailed the interview and I got a second interview and I nailed that one. They called my references. One of them was my old parole officer who is now giving me a reference, right? I got the job. I worked there for six months. Somebody got mad that a felon got hired and there's an article your audience can look it up. It's convicted burglar counsels youth. And it was in that moment. They have no idea. They were trying to do something else with that article. And in that moment, I was like, I got you. Let's go. Yeah. Right. Cause if it if like anyone, spurs you on. Yeah. If anyone it like you, all of those things happened for me so that I can show other people that you can overcome anything, mm. anything from your past. All you need trying to, to condemn you, but in reality, you're like, yeah, this is the story that's going to play out. And now it's unfurling. There we go. <laughs> I sent an email to the reporter and said, you could have done a better job of highlighting my attributes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of your attributes. Okay. I want to fast forward a bit because you have a lovely wife, Megan. And I want to know, like, obviously you have done a ton of work 
on yourself since those days. Um, what does it look like? Like, what does your story look like now? You know, you have a wife, a new baby on the way. Like, what story are you writing for your life in this moment? Like, obviously that old story is not dictating right now. Yeah, so it's it's crazy. And I'm not going to disclose, like, disclose the person, but like my wife and I shared a moment in the kitchen yesterday. So I've been working like... And it's not work to me. Like, this is my calling and you two will understand. Like, it's not work. Like, I love what I do. And so sometimes my wife's like, hey, laptop down, right? And like, come <laughs> be with me. And, and I don't bit. know what that's and, like at all. Yeah, <laughs> I don't believe that. And, and so I went and did a live yesterday and to talk, you know, to talk about my book and um, a thought leader that I have looked up to for a while commented and invited me onto his podcast and I was like I went out in the kitchen I was like baby you got to come look at this you got to come look at this and I'm in his world on the edges right but he's sure. he's where I'm like well, you know he's on the that. he's on the platform I'm trying to get at and and so I came and showed her and and I and it was just like I was in the kitchen and I started she started crying I started crying and I was like I've just worked so hard for a shot. Mm. Right. So you can do a podcast, you can, you can do all the workshops and the retreats and be a speaker. And, and I do all of those things, but you can only stay at a certain level until somebody co-signs you. Yeah. Right. Until somebody gives you an opportunity to go on their podcast, which has 6 million downloads or whatever. Right. Yeah. And then it's mm -hmm. like, boom. And so what my life looks like is um, I, had a lot of chaos in my home as a child, even in my foster home. And my wife and I, I mean, you can hear my wife's work like this. Our house is, is peaceful. We have two cats and we're thinking, you know, we're starting to talk about how we want to raise our child. We really want to support, encourage um, any curiosity that he has and whatever that looks like. So we're looking at alternative schools. There's a, a school in Austin, which is an entrepreneurial school. You know, we're looking, oh, I'll drop the name. Then we're looking at Acton Academy to, yeah. to send our child and, and like, just, I just get goosebumps again, like just to, and you can imagine the belief systems that I have. I had, you know, attempting to be a father. Cause I shared with you too earlier. Like it's been a five-year journey to, get pregnant mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be a good father. You didn't have a good father. Mm. You didn't have parents. Like you're probably going to yell and beat your kid, mm. right? To walk through that and to do the work around it, to realize I'm going to be the greatest dad. He's not out, out yet. And I'm already booking our Disneyland trip because I, as a child, always wanted to go and never got to go. And my wife was like, look, you realize we should wait until he's old enough to remember. And I was like, we can go every year. She's like, <laughs> well, you know, you know, yeah. you know what, Mark, this is so funny because I, I would say book it. I don't care if he's, you know, you know, six months old or whatever it is because it seeps into their soul. Yes. Um, we have a crazy story about how we sold our house and traveled the U S in an RV for about six months. And our daughter was a year and a half old. So she's seen the grand Canyon. She's seen Mount Rushmore. She's seen the redwoods, but does she remember it? No, but it is in her soul. She has the soul of an adventurer of an explorer. It, it, I mean, I mean, it, it's yes, do it. Yes, so he will have the the soul of a child with with whimsy and fun and you know all those special memories with your parents even though he's not really going to remember him it'll be in in his, in his heart. So I would say do it. I'd say book it. No, we're gonna, we're going to. So yeah, <laughs> we're I mean I well, and, and you touch on something that that I mean hit me like uh, hit me hard just now is just that that fear of i'm not going to be a good dad like every man i have ever spoken with at that moment of uh where it becomes real whether it's 
when the pregnancy test comes back or in the hospital at delivery or wherever, there's that fear. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to do this. Whether I had a great dad or a terrible dad or no dad or whatever it was, we we have that that fear. And I think it's it's just the gravity of what it means to be a father, of the significance of that role. I mean, that is in so many ways fathering, whether it's biological or adoptive or as a mentor, um, fathering is... I think it's one of the big core purposes in a man's life. And we just, we see that we come to that experience and it, it hits us like, Oh, uh, I got some work to do here. Mm. And it did for me. Like when we found out we were pregnant, like the next day, it was, it was game on for me. Um, Oh, I'm already, I'm already thinking about like, you know, there's a, an organization here in Austin called front row dads and like, yeah. I'm already like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to get around other fathers that are like, yeah. you know, and it's just. John and Tatiana, yeah. uh, we, we just did an interview with them. Yeah, they're, yeah, John and Tatiana and there were front row, he does front row dads podcast yeah, yeah. and, you know, all that stuff. So that's, yeah, that's cool. And you know what? I want to say from the female perspective, like having a new kid, it's like, there is, there's. I feel like at least for me and Megan can tell you how she feels about it, but there's not a whole lot of thought that needs to go into it to begin with, because it's very, um, it's not ethereal. It's very biological um, for a woman, because like the second you conceive, it's like, okay, you're already doing your mom duty. You are feeding the child inside your womb. You're, you know, going about the changes. You're physically giving birth. You're nursing them. You're, you know, I mean, so there's a lot of like very uh, standard biological practices that take place. And I don't know. um, And like I said, Megan can speak for herself, but for me, there weren't a whole lot of um, thoughts about like, am I going to be this or am I going to be that? It's like you're just thrust into it and you're doing it, um, whether you're thinking about it or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Every 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 father that I know that I that I have a lot of respect for has told me that I'm going to learn a lot about myself. So, mm, so really excited. And there's uh, you know I shared with uh, you know my one of my whys is to is to fulfill my to fulfill Megan's dream of being a stay-at-home mom and to provide the financial foundation that she never has to want, need, or ask me for anything. Hmm. And so really dialing into that since the pregnancy and, you know, and sometimes, yeah, she asked me to shut my laptop down because I'm so like, I need to impact more people. And, you know, I'm like just on a, on a mission Hmm. and it's, I'm really getting to the place of, like, I love what I do. And she is, I mean, she supports me so much, but listening, right. Listening for when she doesn't say that she needs me, but I, she does. Yeah. So like last night I wanted to blow off this escape room that we were going to go do and cancel it. And I would have been glued to my laptop and she's like, no, let's, let's go into Austin. Okay. Mm-hmm. I shut my phone off at dinner and you know, it was like, it felt good. And then, you know, when you turn it on, it's like, zing, 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 zing. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I just spent five days like totally a, off the grid coaching, adventure coaching excursion. And, um, you know, you, you finally the, you come up out of the Canyon and away out of the river and it's like, everyone's phones start going. Ding, 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 ding. Um, okay. So Mark, I definitely want to know, Um, so you have used your story and put together some awesome resources for people to learn from what you have gone through. And one of them is your upcoming book. So would you tell us a little bit about that and, you know, how we can get a, get our hot little hands on it? Yeah, so absolutely. Thank you for allowing me to. So embrace your past, win your future is the title of my second book. And so what it is is it's uh, a deep dive into my story, but not necessarily not necessarily the circumstances, which I you know gave a disclaimer on earlier, 
but it's more around the internal dialogue that was going on with me. And so as the reader goes through the book, they get in touch with their own internal dialogue. And when they get to part two, that's where I outline a, a transitional action plan for transformation. So I literally walk the reader through how to go from a victim to somebody who uses their, their past as their greatest resource. And for any of your listeners that want to check more out, they can go get uh, four free chapters of it on my website, markcrandall.net. There's an opportunity for you to, to go in there. And, and then there's a later opportunity for you to go to Amazon to pre-buy my book for 99 cents. And if you do that and send me the receipt, then I give you, there's like, I don't even know. I put a price tag of a thousand bucks on it, but to me, it's priceless. It's a, yeah. It's a meditation that I lead um, at workshops and in a, in a resource guide and, and some other cool stuff. So cool. Yeah. So cool. And I this know. This is going to be a crazy, busy, awesome summer for you. <laughs> yes. He's taking his newborn to Disneyland. And <laughs> I don't know if that's happening this summer. Oh, well, maybe next summer, maybe next summer. All right, Mike, it has been such a joy to have you on the show and um, we can't wait to share you with our audience. Yeah, dude, just an absolute honor. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate you. All right. I, I love Mark. <laughs> Ditto that. He's a great dude. Um, and, and you know, both he was on, uh, he's on our show, and we got to have another conversation with him on his show. Uh, I think it's episode 39 of Purpose Chasers podcast. And just both ways, um, he's just, he has this nonchalant, beautiful, strong way of going, oh, yeah that's trauma. Oh yeah. That's, that's a victim mindset. Oh, it's this that doesn't put me on my heels. Like Mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of work around, around trauma and healing this year. And, um, you know, that conversation with Mark along with the one we had with him, uh, on his show and, and just everything has been, it's been really helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that too. It's like, he's going to use his story for the good of others, and he's not going to let his um, be- undealt with baggage or something stop him because he's like everything that comes up. He's like, okay, I'll deal with that. Yeah, and I'll deal with that. And, and I'm going to use dealt it to help. With some stuff. I know. I mean, he's dealt with his stuff uh, in a way that you know when you go through a journey like Mark has gone through, you develop a sense of self and confidence and like, okay, well, here's another road bump. We're going to find a way over around or through it. I love it. Yeah. All right. So now the talk about it segment of the show. And now the talk about it segment of the show each week, we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. And here is your conversation starter question. All right, here it is. What is something from your past that's been holding you back from bringing your best. Ooh. Yeah. What's been holding you back? You know, that's a great date night conversation waiting to happen right there. Oh man. Mark really called some stuff out. Like that's hint, hint. It's not your spouse. (laughs) It's something from you and your past. We got to own our stuff here, right? I love it. All right. That's it for today's show. As always, we're talking about all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes in all the podcast outlets and at legendarymarriage.com slash 135. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you... Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.